Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all and to worship with you this morning. We are coming towards the end of our series on the book of Galatians. Kind of hard to believe, but we've only got two weeks left. And that means today we have a pretty substantial chunk of Galatians we're going to bite off together. We're going to look at the entire fifth chapter of the book of Galatians. And again, I'm so encouraged by the stories I'm hearing and testimonies from people meeting together in small groups during the week, hundreds of people getting together to dig into God's word. But you know, this is one of those series that could be like 42 weeks long. And so we also hope that you are taking the time individually to read through the book of Galatians. It's very readable, not too long. And so if you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to just dig in on your own personal devotional time and see what God is speaking to you. Now, as we begin this morning, I was thinking this week about my grandpa Jack, and I've talked about him before. He's one of the most influential people in my life. We've spent a ton of time together, especially camping, backpacking, um, just doing adventurous things together ever since I was a pretty young child. We've backpacked most of the Superior Hiking Trail uh, along Lake Superior in northern Minnesota, and we've been all over the state of Arizona together. And now as he's gotten a little bit older, we tend to be in a Jeep um, instead of backpacking, but I always love spending time with him and learning lessons from him. And I was thinking back to one of the most profound lessons I learned when I was in high school. And since I'm a slow learner, I had to learn it over the course of a few different instances. And the first time was, I think I was 16, and we were going to go hiking up in the mountains close to his house in Tucson, Arizona. And it was a trail called Blackett's Ridge. And there was this promise of an amazing vista and an amazing view of the desert. So we started off, if you're familiar with Tucson, we were in the Sabino Canyon recreation area and you go up the canyon and then you keep climbing and you keep climbing and you keep climbing and there's switchbacks along the way. There was a problem though, being a 16 year old, because my grandparents had a, lived in a nice housing development that had a very nice swimming pool and it had nice deck chairs and there were girls at the pool. And so I'm hiking along the way thinking, I'd much rather be back at the pool. And I also learned something about what's called false summits. That's when you kind of get to the top and you think you're done. And then there's another climb. And then you think you're done. And there's another climb. And finally, I had it. I'm like, I'm turning around. I'm going back to the pool. And my grandpa continued on. And it wasn't until, I think, two or three years later that we went and did that trail again. And I finally made it to the end. And I got to see the very top, how amazing the view was. It was a picture I took. You see, it was a lesson in persistence about not turning around, but instead of going forward. Well, there was another time I learned the same lesson. I think I was 17. We were up on the North Shore of Lake Superior, and another thing my grandpa Jack likes to do is climb abandoned fire towers. And he's actually a member of the National Fire Tower Climbers Association. It is a thing. You can look it up online. So we found this fire tower up in the Superior National Forest, and it wasn't like others because it didn't have stairs to get up. Instead, it had a ladder. It was 80 feet tall. There's a picture of it. And so we started to climb the ladder, the two of us, and the problem was it's uh, about 40 feet up, the cage that protects you on the ladder just went away. And suddenly we're out in the air, and the whole thing is going back and forth like this. So I said, I'm done. I can't do this. I went back down, and he came with me, and we're sitting around the fire at our campsite that night, and he said, we got to go back. We have to go back. We have to go back. So the next morning, we went, and we climbed to the top, 
and we saw the amazing view of Lake Superior and the whole forest. And again, I learned this lesson in the importance of persistence, not turning around, but pressing on. And you see, today, we're going to learn that lesson from Paul. Paul wants us to know that we need to press on, we need to be persistent, we can't get sidetracked, we can't go backwards. And so up to this point in the book of Galatians, for four chapters, Paul has been very clear about the power and the purity of the gospel, that the gospel is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus has taken care of all of the details by dying on the cross and rising again, and all of his promises and all of his benefits are available to each one of us through faith. We don't need to add anything on. We don't need to go backwards to old ways of living, but instead we embrace the wonder and the power of the gospel. And so now Paul wants us to understand what's truly at stake. Really, it's about our freedom. He's saying, don't get tempted to turn around. Don't get tempted to go back to old rules. Don't get tempted to go back to old traditions. But instead, move forward through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he starts in verse 1 of chapter 5 by saying, So Christ has truly set us free. It's big. You are truly free in Christ. Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You've been given this gift in the gospel. Don't dare turn around. Don't lose heart. Don't give up your freedom. If you go backwards and you start to embrace the law and the rules and the traditions again, like we often are inclined to do, it really means we are going backwards into slavery. We become slaves to the law. And there's no hope and there's no freedom in that. So Paul is saying, cling to the promises of God. Cling to the goodness of the gospel and know you are truly free. But you see, we all have this tendency to want to turn around and go back to what's comfortable and to go back to what's familiar. And it's so much easier to depend on our own preferences and our own feelings and our own wants and our own desires but again, Paul is saying, if you try to go backwards, if you try to do it on your own, if you try to depend on the law or anything else apart from Jesus, you are putting yourself into slavery. And it's because none of us are good enough on our own. None of us can follow the law perfectly. The only freedom that we have is through Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Christ, you are truly free you're no longer on the performance plan. You don't have to earn God's favor. You're no longer destined to fail. And you never need to wonder if you are accepted or if you are worthy. Because in Christ, everything changes. Now, I heard a theologian say one time, if your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel more free, you're doing it wrong. I'll say that one more time. If your version of Christianity doesn't make you feel more free today, you're doing it wrong. Jesus came to bring us freedom. But now we have an all-important question today that Paul wants to help us answer. And that question is, so how are you going to use the freedom we have in Christ? 
How will you use the freedom that you have in Christ? As you leave this place today, as you go into your week tomorrow, if you go to work or school or just in your community and your household, how will you use the freedom that Jesus has given you? Now, I think oftentimes we get pulled to two different extremes. We either land in license or in legalism. We either say anything goes, we can just kind of do whatever we want, or we end up going backwards to legalism and adding all sorts of rules and regulations. Now, I think we tend to give ourselves license, right? We say, well, you know, I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt. I know what my intentions are. I'm not trying to hurt anyone, so I can kind of do what I want. Paul talks about that numerous times throughout his letters. But for other people, we're much more willing to be legalistic, right? Well, I'm not sure they know what they're doing, so I'm going to add a lot of rules and standards and regulations for them. We tend to either go to license or legalism to go into those extremes. But Paul says there's a new and a better way to live. You see, the Galatians kept being pulled backwards. They kept trying to return to the old ways of doing things instead of embracing their freedom in Christ. One of their big things is they kept trying to struggle with whether they needed to make circumcision a requirement for membership. Did you have to become a Jew before you could become a Christian? And Paul keeps telling them, anytime you turn around and go backwards, you're giving up your freedom. Anytime you try to go back and embrace the law and the rules and the traditions that you used to be a part of, you are falling away from God's grace. Now think of it this way. If someone were to give you a $100 gift card to your favorite restaurant, it'd be awesome, right? But if you receive that gift card and you take out your checkbook and you write them a $50 check, suddenly it's no longer a free gift card. It's just a discount card, right? If you receive God's grace and then say, I'm going to do something back. I'm going to try to earn it. I'm going to return back to the old ways of living. Paul is saying it's like giving up your freedom and it's no longer a free gift of grace. It's just a little bit of a discount. Every day, we can embrace the amazingly free gift of God's grace in Christ. We don't deserve it, we don't earn it, but still God freely gives it to us. You see, what makes Christianity so amazing is that God's grace says you are loved completely, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. Grace is an amazing gift But if you turn back to legalism, you fall away from grace. So Paul wants to keep us moving forward, not moving in the wrong direction. He wants us to receive God's grace and his freedom and then to live it out in all that we do and say. And so in verse 6 of chapter 5, we arrive at, I think, one of the most powerful verses in this entire letter. But not just that, it's one of the most powerful verses In the entire Bible. Because this is what Paul says about living out God's grace and freedom. He says, the only thing, if you have a Bible you can write in, I would circle or underline the word only. 
The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If you want to know what to do next, if you want to know where to put your priorities, if you want to know how to make decisions in your life, if you want to redirect your energy, this is what Paul says to do. Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now this was revolutionary for the Galatians. They had never heard anything like this. But I think it's also revolutionary for us today. Paul is saying, stop worrying about your status. Stop worrying about how well you're following the rules. Jesus died for you. It shows how much he already loves and accepts you. Basically, the vertical is already taken care of. You are made right with God 100% through what Jesus has done. And because the vertical is taken care of, now you should focus on the horizontal. How are you relating to others? How are you living out your faith in your daily life? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You see, church, the most freeing thing we can do is to use our freedom to love others. The most freeing thing you can do this afternoon, tomorrow, the rest of the week, the rest of your life, the most freeing thing you can do is to use your freedom to love others in Jesus' name. Here's how Paul puts it in verses 13 and 14. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. This is your true status. Live in freedom. But he says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The way to put your freedom into practice in your daily life is to find ways to serve others in love. And then he says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command Love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of trying to remember the 613 plus different commandments that are in the Old Testament, Paul says all of them are fulfilled in doing one thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's something that they've known the entire time. It's been with the Jewish people for centuries. We've known it our entire life. If you want to know where to focus your attention and your energy, Love your neighbor as yourself. It sums it all up. We've known the answer the entire time. You know, it's kind of like the the movie The Wizard of Oz. You've all seen that, right? Have you ever thought about how the movie The Wizard of Oz really could have only been five minutes long? Dorothy had the answer the entire time. She had the ruby slippers on. She, She would have realized the power that she already had. The movie could have been over instantly. We didn't need the two hours of flying monkeys and everything else that was going on. And Paul is saying, you need to realize what you already have. You already have freedom. You already have the answer. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's about. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. But to that, we start to ask, you know, but what about my wants and my desires? 
what about me? What about my preferences? What about my theological underpinnings? What about the worship style I like? What about the songs I want to sing? And again, Paul would say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about loving others. Now just think for a moment, if as individuals, we would put these words into practice. Just imagine if we would live this out at work, if we would live this out in our household, in our families, that we would seek to express our faith in love. Not in judgment, not in politics, not in arguments, not in divisions. I think it would profoundly change the way we look at other people. Right? Every single person we encounter is created in the image of God. They are deeply loved by God. I think it would change the prayers we pray. We'd maybe stop praying about all the things we want, and we would pray for others to come to know God's love. I think it would cause us to speak well of others, to assume the best, to explain people's actions in the best way, like Martin Luther said in the small catechism. But then let's take it a step further. What would it look like for us as a church to come together to live out these words of Paul together as the body of Christ? The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. Well, I think it would mean we would gladly sacrifice on behalf of others who don't know Jesus because one of the most loving things that we can do is to invite others to meet Jesus. One of the most loving things we can do is to invite others to come and hear the gospel, to meet their Savior. I mean, we have the greatest news in the history of the world how can it be loving for us to keep it to ourselves? Now, maybe some of you have read the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And I love the very first sentence in the book. You might remember. It simply states, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. Way too often, we think about church being about us. You know, if anybody from the outside wants to come in, well, they should just do things the way we want to do them. They should adapt, not me. Yet this is not the attitude that Jesus calls us to. It's not what Paul is challenging us with today, which is to put our neighbor first. So for a number of weeks now, I've been asking the same questions, and they're challenging questions, and I hope that you're wrestling with them like I am. The first question is, what are you willing to sacrifice to reach people for Christ? If we truly believe the gospel matters and that all people need Jesus, what are we willing to sacrifice in order to reach more people for Christ? The other question is, what are you holding on to more tightly than the mission that Jesus has given us? What is that thing that you are clinging to and you don't want to open up your hand and give away in order for more people to hear the gospel. Remember, the Bible has one word for that, idolatry. 
What are we willing to do as a church to focus outward with the good news of the gospel our world desperately needs to hear? Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the whole law. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Now, it's simple to say those things, but it comes so much harder. It's so much harder to put into practice. And that's because there is a battle going on within us, Paul says. We have a temptation again and again to turn around and to go back to the way things used to be. We have a tendency to follow the wrong leader and the wrong guide in our life. You see, there's a tension. There's a battle between our sinful nature and the Spirit of God. A battle between our sinful nature and the Spirit of God. Paul is saying we either live by one or the other. And it's an ongoing struggle that we all face. And so how can we keep moving forward in the right direction How can we make sure we don't go backward and fall back into bad habits? Well, what Paul does is he reminds us that we are not alone. In fact, we have a guide willing to go with us. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Are you letting the Holy Spirit be your guide You see, Paul says when we go backwards, when we listen to our sinful nature, when we let our sinful nature have the final word, we fall into all sorts of bad behavior. We heard it in our Bible reading today. He makes a whole list of sins of the flesh. And let me tell you, the temptation we often have as a church is to go to the ones that uh, many of us maybe don't feel like we struggle with them as much. And so we look at, yeah, sexual immorality, lust, and we put all the focus there. But let's be honest about the whole list where it says jealousy. Ouch, every one of us probably thinks, I struggle with that. How about dissension? How about division? How about envy? Every one of us should feel convicted by this list. The times that we allow our sinful nature to lead the way. But here's the thing, Paul doesn't stop there. There's amazing hope. Because he says when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead, when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, we actually develop the family likeness. We become more and more like Jesus. And so he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Just think for a moment of what he's describing, love, joy, peace, patience. All of these things are perfect characteristics of who Jesus was and what he modeled for us. Have you ever noticed how kids eventually look more and more like their parents? And have you ever noticed how sometimes spouses begin to look more and more like each other. And sometimes people look a lot like their pets. Have you ever noticed that? I brought a few pictures. Hey, how about the next one? Yeah. One more. (laughs) 
See, the truth is, church, we gradually look like the one we follow. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. It's a process. That's why Paul calls it fruit. Fruit doesn't grow overnight, typically. It's a, a long process. But as we follow Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's fruit that should develop in our life. And in fact, these become a great test of whether or not we're growing in faith. You know, we have this amazing mission statement as a church to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. But how do we know if we're actually growing in faith? Well, just think about the fruits of the Spirit. Each day we can ask, am I growing more or less loving towards others? We can ask, am I more or less patient towards others? You know, where I often ask that question is at the grocery store. Have you ever done where you come up and you're ready to check out and you look at all the lines and you try to figure out the one that's going to go the fastest? And then when you get in that line, you have some other people that are kind of your placeholders in the other lines and you want to make sure you pick the fastest one. Am I the only one who does this? <laughs> Almost every time I pick wrong and suddenly I have to ask myself, am I growing more or less patient? Am I more or less joyful? Am I more or less kind? The fruits of the Spirit show us whether or not we're truly growing in our faith. Are we more critical or less critical? Are we more negative or less negative? Are we more concerned with getting our own way or deferring and serving others? You see, to be led by the Spirit means to be growing in the spirit and growing in the fruit of the spirit remember first corinthians 13 we've all heard it read at weddings before but it says if i speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love i am only a resounding gong the first fruit of the spirit is always love are we becoming more or less loving towards others each and every day well, then Paul closes out the chapter by reminding us how we can keep growing, how we can keep moving forward. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Remember last week we said one of the amazing things about coming to faith in Jesus is we are adopted into God's family. It means we are heirs to everything that is his. All of his promises are ours. And part of that promise is that he has taken all of our sins and nailed them to the cross once and for all. So Paul says, don't turn around and grab them back off the cross. Leave them there. Jesus has already dealt with them completely. You are free. Be led by the Spirit, not your sinful nature. And then as we go forward, don't be tempted to turn around and go backward, but instead follow the Spirit's lead. In verse 25, he says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The actual translation there is more like keep in step with the Spirit. And I can't help but think of my children when they were little. And they would grab our hand and they would walk along and they would try to stay in step. 
with us. See, through the Holy Spirit, God grabs your hand and he says, walk with me. Keep in step with the Spirit. I will take you in the right direction. Now, in closing, I think when we think of our relationship with Jesus, we sometimes think of it kind of like a balloon. And we think we need to be motivated. We need to really be kind of hit into following him. So we think, you know, I'm going to try to try harder. I'm going to try to earn it. I'm going to try to deserve it. Well, I failed today, so I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm going to do this on my own. And we keep trying to stay up in the air. And then we start thinking of church like that. And, you know, maybe you think of my job as kind of being the one on Sundays that gives you a little smack. You know, like, hey, go be more generous. And you go do it for a week and you come back. Hey, why don't you go love people better? And just kind of this ongoing process of being smacked around. It's probably why I don't get invited to many parties, right? There's really only one other way to keep the balloon up in the air, right? And it's to fill it with helium. When you fill the balloon with helium, you don't have to hit it anymore. It's not about your own effort. It, it just floats on its own. See, in the same way, Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, is the helium that keeps us soaring. All the things that seem impossible suddenly become possible. Loving others, putting others first, expressing ourselves, expressing our faith and love, growing in the fruits of the Spirit. It's not because we're getting smacked around, it's because the Holy Spirit's living within us. And so Paul says, keep on growing, keep on allowing the Spirit to lead, Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't try to turn around and do it on your own. Don't give in to your sinful nature of selfishness and negativity and division. Because church, the truth is, you are free because of what Jesus has done. So now go live like a free person. That's your true identity. And the best way to live as a free person is to love others in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the power of the gospel. We give you thanks for the power of your word, which has been handed down for century upon century. We thank you for these words of Paul today that challenge us to go and live out our faith 